Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is the podcast all about slow living in a fast-paced world. I am Brooke McCallery. And my name is Ben McCallery and welcome to episode 241. We're getting up there, aren't we? We are. 241. We, We certainly are. In this episode, hang on, let me quantify this first. So we're currently on the road starting our big slow tour slow book tour we are like officially like almost on this exact date yes so obviously we we have been keeping things updated on social media and over on the events page on slow your home but we are currently touring around the yukon which is cool and well look being transparent, we're not actually right this second. We've recorded this just before we are touring around the Yukon. But that's right now, if you're listening to this today, it comes out where we will be. I'm trying to link what we're doing now to what our guest is doing <laughs> or would have done and has been doing throughout North America for quite some time. <laughs> and our guest today is Rob Greenfield. And for those that don't know, Rob has clocked up some Ks. Oh, yeah. Or miles, I yeah, should say. miles. So, yes, I'm sorry, I'm a little slow on the uptake today, but that's absolutely a beautiful tie-in to make. But Rob Greenfield, you may have come across him at some point on social media or in a newspaper or something like that because he is a guy who does big things to get people's attention drawn to a particular issue. So Mm. Rob is the guy who... Would you say Rob is an activist? Definitely. Definitely. Absolutely. Would Rob- you say Rob is an environmentalist? I would. Would you say Rob is a legend? I would. Rob is also a dude making a difference. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. But Rob is the guy who collected the average amount of rubbish that an American creates in a month, I think it was. And he strapped himself with big plastic bags, see-through plastic bags, and wore that rubbish around New York City for it might have actually been a month. So Rob, like that's Rob. Rob's also the guy who travelled something like 4,000 miles without a single penny to his name just to see what it would be like to rely on others and to kind of meet people and and become part of something bigger. Uh, and the and he reason- just keeps doing it. Like he these stunts, he keeps doing it. Yeah. He's a PR dream, really. Well, look, he is, but he's not doing it for any reason other than to make a difference, which is what I really like about him. And, I mean, the reason I've always found him really fascinating, but the reason that I wanted so badly to chat to Rob is because he's starting to make this shift. He's he's done a lot of zero-waste activism and lives a zero-waste lifestyle himself, but he's also now focusing much more on food security and the opportunity we have for growing our own food and becoming part of a a food growing community. Uh, And he and I talk about that in today's episode, along with a lot of other things. But the other thing we touch on is something that I still grapple with myself. And I know a lot of people listening do. It's the enormity of all these problems. Once we, we become aware, and he talks quite a bit about his process of becoming aware of the issues in the world. Once we become aware, we we feel both inspired but also kind of defeated by how heavy these problems are. And he and I talk about that and how he's able to harness this idea of making one small change at a time and being able to look back and seeing how far he's come, which I find really inspiring. So there's a lot of, I mean, there's, there's big ideas here, big campaigns, big changes, big choices, but also the power of small daily actions 
that Rob talks about. That is awesome. It is. It was a really, really fun conversation. So to find out more about Rob, just head over to slowyourhome.com backslash or forward slash. Let's not get into that argument again. Episode 241, that's 241. And you can also head over to Rob's website, which is robgreenfield.tv. There you will find a history of all of his campaigns and his activism and what he's up to now. Uh, And he's also got a really great community on Facebook. Yeah, Google Rob Greenfield if you want to go through down that rabbit hole. Which is, yeah, (laughs) it's it's a pretty great rabbit hole. But uh, until then, enjoy today's episode. Rob, hello. Hello, how are you? I'm so well. How are you? Pretty good. Life is good here in Florida right now. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, and I'm also glad to be talking with you. I've been following you and your uh, your your inspiring campaigns uh, over the last couple of years, and I'm actually stoked that we, we get to chat about it today. Well, that's nice to hear. I, I like to speak to people who have been enjoying the adventures and getting something positive out of it. Yeah, no, which is a lot of a lot a lot of people, uh, and that's really where I want to start because you're a, like a self-described dude making a difference these days, and the ways that you're helping people make a difference often center on things like zero waste living and living a simpler, more sustainable lifestyle, both in terms of finances and the impact we're having on the environment. But that wasn't always the case, was it? I mean, this isn't, you weren't kind of, you weren't born with this mission in mind. So what were you, what was life like for you 10 years ago? And and what was the catalyst for change? Yeah. So, well, I guess 10 years ago, I would have been 21 years old because I'm 31 now. And uh, for a long time, I was living what would be sort of continue, considered a pretty typical American life. My, you know, I was very focused on money, you know, work. My goal at that time was to be a millionaire by the time I was 30. I was very focused on my car. At that time, I had just bought a brand new car and I would spend two hours every Sunday shining it and making sure that it was spotless. I was very focused on material possessions. And, you know, it was a lot of that was largely ego based. And then a lot of it was based on doing what I thought was considered success, Mm -hmm. considered you know, the life to strive for. And so I took, you know, my actions in, you know, how my actions affected the environment or humanity, other people, very minimally into account. It wasn't really my thoughts. My thoughts were mostly based on personal gain and yeah, personal gain and and pleasure in life to a large extent. And to me, that's just incredible to see how much you've shifted in that period of 10 years. Was there a moment or something that happened to you in in life for for things to change or was it a gradual realization you know did it perhaps start with a book and then a slow shift towards living a different in a different way i mean how did that shift happen well i would say that that is without a question maybe the most commonly asked question to me like because and I, i guess the reason why is that people see that i really transformed my life i mean it's a stark difference between today and even six years ago. Mm. I mean, just a totally, totally stark difference. And so most people, 
expect that I had some sort of moment of enlightenment or some sort of near-death experience, you know, that really stereotypical, maybe that's how it's portrayed in movies. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, it was the total opposite opposite of that. No moment of enlightenment, no near-death, no death in the family that made me realize I needed to live life. It was really just that I started to watch a lot of documentaries and read a lot of books. And it wasn't just one book or one documentary. It was a accumulation of knowledge. And what happened was my whole life started to unravel before me because through these documentaries and books, I started to realize that basically everything that I was doing, the food that I was eating, the car that I was driving, the gas that I was pumping into my car, uh, even the water that I was drinking in San Diego, for example, that water was coming a couple hundred miles or three, four hundred kilometers away from the Colorado River where it was being sucked dry to the mm-hmm. point where it doesn't make it to the ocean. Just my simple act of drinking water and everything else, hundreds of things I realized I was doing was causing destruction to the world. And at that point, I said, well, I'm, I don't want to live a life that destroys the world. I want to be good to the world. And so... And I know I don't want to live a life that causes destruction to other people. I don't want to buy stuff that means other people are slaving away. And so I realized all of these things and just made a very realistic, rational decision that I got to change my life. Mm. I love this because I often am asked by people about making changes. So I'll, I'll often, uh, you know, interview people or I've shared some of my own story where it was, you know, a mental health issue that caused me to change the way I was living. Because previous to to that, I was living very similarly to you, focusing on living a, quote, successful life and and having all appearances thereof. But so many people say to me, I don't want to wait until I have a health crisis or until a relationship breaks down or until my life unravels. How do I make these changes now before some huge crisis kind of hits me? And what I love about what you're saying is it's possible to do that simply by changing your inputs, starting to make a shift in terms of the the knowledge that we're acquiring and the, the, the books you're reading and the documentaries you're watching and use that. And I guess, did you get to a certain point where you, the, you couldn't unsee what you were seeing? You couldn't unknow what you had discovered? Yeah. A lot of people like to use the term ignorance as bliss. Mm-hmm. Uh, they like to live that life. I have some very intelligent friends that intentionally don't learn things because then they know they'll have to change their life. A perfect example is my, you know, I'm over at a friend's house and he's taken his factory farm meats out of the fridge that came from, I think, Sam's Club in bulk, like chicken breasts. And I say, you know, you know where those chicken, you know, I don't say this to everybody, but he's a good friend of mine. I said, you know where those chicken breasts are from, right? And he's like, well, basically, uh, you know, I kind of know, but hmm. I haven't really looked into it because if I know, then I can't buy these anymore and I want to buy these. Right. I think humans are incredibly good at sticking our heads in the sand on things that make us uncomfortable. Yes. Mm. And so basically, I, you know, there is no going back to what I learned and I don't want to because for me, truth really is central to my life. It is really about understanding. So so here's the thing. If I'm doing all of these things that are causing a negative impact on the world and I'm ignoring them intentionally, 
or I'm just kind of shoving them to the side, that to me is living an untruthful life. Mm -hmm. And I'm definitely on a, you know, a constant quest for truth, which in today's world is uh, a very hard thing to be in a state of truth because, you know, we just don't live in the most genuine, authentic uh, world today. Mm. Well, there's agendas. Everyone's got agendas, you know, both sides of every argument has an agenda. And we have so many tools, I guess, at our disposal in terms of media and social media that allow people to spread various levels of truth and untruth. And I think that's probably a big part of it, actually, for people struggling to make these changes. I mean, maybe they know they want to, but then they start to investigate, they start to to read and watch documentaries and, you know, listen to podcasts and, and what have you, and then become really overwhelmed at everything that they now understand is problematic. Where do they begin? You know, and this is a, another question that I'm asked a lot. Where do I start? How do I begin when everything needs to change? So you mentioned that you formulated a rational plan and it was realistic and you simply started. So what did you start with? What were the first changes that you made? Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm glad you brought it back to that because I was going to as well. And because here's the good news for anyone listening. You don't need to change your life overnight. It's very easy to feel overwhelmed. You know, you realize, like, I realize there's hundreds of problems with my life. Other people are realizing that as well, that so many things are so messed up. And so it's very easy to feel overwhelmed and say, well, I, I can't do anything because it's all so messed up. But I did the opposite. Instead, I became very inspired and very excited to start changing my life one bit at a time. And it started really small. At first, I, you know, I was going to Walmart and buying everything there. My food was coming from there. All my cheap good was coming from there. And everything would be double bagged and plastic bags. So one of my simplest changes was getting a reusable bag, something that is really easy to do that takes, that's not stressful at all. That was one small change. And then, uh, you know, I kept making one small change. Like, you know, instead of driving to the grocery store that was just a half mile away, I would bike to the grocery store that's a half mile away or, or, sorry, or like three quarters of a kilometer, you know, things that are manageable. And so I, I started with manageable things. And the more positive changes I made, the more really ultimately easy it became because everybody knows that when something feels good, you're more likely to do it. So I felt good, which made it easier to do more. Mm. I changed my diet, which made me feel healthier and and I was biking more, which made me feel healthier and, and happier. And so most things that when you change things that are better for humanity, better for the, you know, the environment, better for other creatures, typically the good news is it's better for yourself as well. And so, you know, once you get the journey kickstarted enough, then it, you kind of end up sort of a snowball rolling down a hill. Right. And that momentum sort of feeds into larger changes to the point where maybe you look back at where you've come from and realize, wow, I actually have changed a, a great deal. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's uh, the thing, like radical transformation doesn't happen overnight. It starts with one small change and then another one and another one. But here's the thing. If you're adding a bucket of sand to your yard every day, just a pile of sand right in your yard, you'll, you, you'll just every day you gradually see it 
until there's a big pile, but it, it never looked over, like the transformation mm -hmm. happened over a short period of time. That may be a really crappy analogy. I'm just looking at, <laughs> I'm just looking at the garden in my yard right now. <laughs> but the point is, you won't even know how much you're transform transforming as you're making these small changes. It just starts, it really starts to take place. And then after a while, then you can really like look back and say, whoa, that is a lot. Even if you're just making one positive change a week. Exactly. Absolutely. And I think that not fearing small change is really important because we're, you know, we're, we're all about kind of instant gratification. You know, we decide we want to change the way we live. So we want to do it yesterday. Um, we decide that we want to make an impact on the world. So we want it to, to be audacious and immediate. And I think to relearn that change is small and consistent is really important and it kind of goes against the grain of, of the way that we have been living for the past couple of generations, which is instant gratification. I want it yesterday. Yes, absolutely. And I feel like I should, uh, there's something I want to say and that is, I may have just made it sound easy, but transforming your life is not easy. I mean, mm. very few really good things are easy. I feel like that's kind of like one of those cliche statements. What is it like? Nothing easy in life, nothing good in life comes easy. But I mean, when it comes to these sorts of things, that's generally the case. It's not going to be easy to totally change your life and to take back the power from big corporations and, and you know, look at life in a different way. So it's not going to be easy. And if you care about humanity and you really care about the environment, in my opinion, it means you're going to be going against the grain to try to really have your actions align with your beliefs. It means you have to go against the grain of society because I would say the grain of society currently is it's more on the aesthetics, more yeah. on the instant gratification, you know, more on this just kind of like convenience. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be convenient to totally transform your life. So, you know, as much as it can be an enjoyable, uh, amazing journey, it's I'm just going to say it's it's not just going to be like this easy change. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more on everything you just said. I think convenience is really one of the enemies of progress in, uh, you know, in society at the moment. And I think I often talk about the idea of slow living being countercultural and that that comes with a certain set of challenges. You know, when you're moving against the grain, when you're turning left, when all of your friends and family are turning right, you you do need to have a set of values or uh, something like a foundation or a, a belief in what you're doing that is really strong because the reason that everyone kind of goes in the same direction is because it's easier. It's not better for us. It doesn't make us feel better, but it is easier to just let go and go with the flow. So, I mean, did you have any strategies or, or ways of describing the changes you were making that either put you at ease or allowed other people to see that what you were doing was based on your personal values? Did you have a, a way of kind of making that clear? Mm. Let's see. You know, I actually didn't have two. This is an area where I had less of a hard time than I know a lot of people do. And the reason being is that I've always just done what I've wanted. Mm -hmm. Even, I mean, in the past, what I wanted to do was stuff that was, you know, more ego-based, as I said, work my way up the ladder, be a millionaire, all that sort of stuff. And when I was living that life, I just did what I wanted, whether people, you know, liked it or, or not. So for me, that's always been, that's an easier thing about changing my life is that 
it didn't really matter to me. I wanted to change my life, so I was going to do it. Right. So that made it, you know, obviously easier for me. But one of the things, like I still have an ego, but my ego has definitely dropped many levels since six years ago or so. And, you know, some of the things I do, for example, dumpster diving to raise awareness about food waste. Dumpster diving is a pretty hip term, but if you could also call it just eating garbage or <laughs> digging food out of the trash, I mean, those are both equally accurate representations. Although good food in the garbage isn't garbage, but to the average person, it's garbage. Now, for that's a perfect example of how by doing that, it put my it it had it made it forced me to drop down my ego. Mm-hmm. Anybody eating out of the garbage is going to be humbled, is going to, uh, it's basically an experiment in um, social acceptance. And right. so what I did is I, I kind of kept doing these things that, that put myself out there, outside of my comfort zone, because although I've dived into thousands of dumpsters today, the first time I dived into a dumpster, I was extremely worried what people would think about me. But by practicing stepping outside of social norms in sort of a bold way. Really what that did is it allowed me to, the smaller things, not even have to think about that. So there's all sorts of little things that I would recommend. For example, you know, one of the the week-long experiments I did is that for one week, I couldn't use any utensils to eat, no forks or spoons or knives. So no matter where I was, I had to eat with my hands. And, you know, during that week, I even went to some you know, parties, went out to dinner with people, and I had to eat with my hands. Easy experiment anyone can do, but it forces you to be outside of your comfort zone. And the more times you force yourself to be outside of your societal norm comfort zone, the quicker you are able to just settle into yourself and really just naturally be you. Right. I really like this idea. I mean, because you're, as you said, you're, you're well known for putting yourself out there in kind of like really obvious ways, like strapping all of your, like the, was it the typical amount of rubbish that uh, one person creates in a month and it's like strapping it to your body and walking around. That sort of stuff catches people's attention. But as you say, it's also a really fascinating experiment that allows you personally to expand your, like your comfort zone and maybe shrink the ego and find your place within this, this big, kind of mess and and just forge a way ahead that makes sense to you rather than worrying about what other people think. Uh, I'm hugely positive on the, the whole idea of experimentation because I think it's also it's a very low risk thing to do that teaches you about yourself or the way you react or the way you view the world or the habits that we've formed over a lifetime and it gives us a really gentle way of pushing back against all of those things, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it should be pointed out, like, yeah, the project called Trash Me, where I wore all the trash that I created while living like the average American for a month in New York City, I was just covered in trash. Mm-hmm. I was called the trash monster, the trash for that, trash former, all of the, And, you know, I was just a walking ball of trash. Now, the reason I'm bring, saying this is because I could not have done that six years ago. The only reason I could do that is because I continuously stepped outside of my comfort zone with these smaller things to the point where I stopped, got to the point where I I don't worry what people think about me enough 
to the point where I could walk around New York City covered in trash for a month. Right. And I mean, what what's your experience with the interactions you have with other people when you're someone who is now really comfortable, I guess, or as comfortable as, as possible in putting yourself out there in such big ways? What I mean, how do people respond to that? Well, and here's the really good news about all this, which is not something I would have known six years ago. But I think that what people really want are authentic people. You know, mm-hmm. when you look at the politicians and so many of the movie stars, it's, there's just so much fakeness in the world. And so really, to me, it doesn't matter what you're doing. As long as you are being your absolute self, that is one of the greatest accomplishments in today's world is to truly be yourself. And I think that people are extremely attracted to it. I know for me, you know, a lot of the things that I worried about turned out to be go the opposite direction. The more that I just truly was my authentic self, the more people were actually attracted to me and what I was doing. It doesn't matter who, how weird you are. You know, we're all. I think <laughs> we are all weird. <laughs> We're all a bunch of weirdos, and I think people are attracted to it. So I would really, you know, a lot of this is about the environment, but it's also about living a good life. Uh, You know, it's pretty hard to be certain about what the purpose of life is, but I don't see a harm in really trying to live a quality life that doesn't harm others. Uh, To me, that seems like a really worthwhile endeavor in the time that we have. And I think that value of yours of compassion and generosity and thinking beyond yourself, well beyond you know the, the bounds of yourself and your own personal comfort and interest, that permeates everything that you do and have done over the past few years. I remember the, um, the, the story of your, your bike having been stolen. Was that at the end of last year? Yeah. Yeah, you oh. had your, your bike stolen. And the story that, that kind of came out of that, really inspired me and I know it inspired a huge number of people too if just all it takes is to to look through the comments of your Instagram posts to see the number of people who reference this story can you uh just tell us what happened when your bike was stolen sure yeah so this is in November and uh actually my girlfriend was at work and she asked me to come meet her and ride home with her So I rode my bike over there. I got there a little bit early. I had had a couple of really long days, and I I set my bike down on the bike rack and walked about, I don't know, 10 feet, you know, a couple meters away from it, sat down, like really just relaxed for the first time in a couple of days, looking up at the full moon. All of a sudden, I hear this weird noise behind me, and I look back, and I see my bike and someone on it just speeding off in the light of the moon into the distance. Hmm. And I get up and I chase, you know, chase down. Obviously, the, he was biking faster than I could chase. And then I decided, I quickly said, I'm going to turn this, what would, you know, objectively be considered a very negative situation. This is my bamboo bike. I've used it to bike across the country. I only had about 111 possessions at the time, which this is probably my most important possession my most valuable possession. If I had uh, much sentiment, this would be the thing that I had sentiment to. But I quickly said, here's the situation. How can I turn this into something good? So I brainstormed and I said, okay, I know what it feels like to get my bike stolen. It's, oh, it's a pretty bad feeling. I'm going to 
use this to help people who've had their bikes stolen. So I quickly created a GoFundMe to buy bikes for people, mostly kids who have had their bikes stolen so that I could turn this one bad deed into a good deed. And the other idea was to sort of like, you know, bad won't create more bad. Mm -hmm. I'm a big, you know, I really have been inspired by Martin Luther King. And one of the things he said is hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. For me, I thought here's bad deeds. Bad, another bad deed will not drive it out. So good deeds can crowd it out. So if one bad deed happened, let me make 10 good deeds out of it. Um, and so that's what I set out to do. And then I ended up raising enough money to buy 50 bikes hmm. and just recently finished that 51 now. Um, and then I went on a bike search and I spent uh, two days looking for it. I met the guy who stole it. Jo- Guitar Johnny was his name. Got the bike back, gave Johnny a big hug, and actually, the person who helped me find Guitar Johnny just sent me a Facebook message. She was one of the homeless people who helped me find my bike. Actually, just sent me a message yesterday or two days ago and said Johnny is is uh, at home now and he's cleaned up and sober. Wow, wow, that's incredible. Yeah, I don't know if it will for sure last, but that was pretty positive to hear. So my hope was to have a positive impact on him through by by showing, you know, compassion yeah. rather than anger. And, and whether it turns out to have worked, it's worth a try. Yeah, and I mean, and and beyond that, I mean, you 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 can only control your choices and your actions, which you did. But beyond the impact that it may or may not have on him, it's had a huge impact on other people who were watching and who are inspired by your compassion and generosity. I mean, it's really unusual, I think, to see people model the ideas of forgiveness and compassion because they're, like, they're difficult. They are not easy. And I think to see someone do that is really powerful and, uh, and will have further reaching impacts than maybe you could even imagine. So I think I just want to say thank you for putting that kind of that kind of stuff out into the world, because I think it's important. I really do. I appreciate that. And I want to make another point about this. So today that came as second nature. Mm -hmm. But six years ago or 10 years ago, I was not and I had I had really great parents. But you are affected a lot by not just your parents, but by media, by all the people around you, by popular culture. So I definitely was raised by the retaliation mindset. Mm-hmm. So to go from that to today to, you know, hugging the thief and hoping for the best from him, again, not something that happened overnight. I realized that I wanted to change the way I looked at things. So I practiced compassion. The only way that you can gain any of these abilities is to practice them. It's just like if playing a sport. You will never become a professional basketball player overnight. You need to practice, practice, practice. And the same goes for any personal characteristic. You'll only become these things if you're not naturally born them, which most of us aren't born necessarily these things, if you practice it. And so I would I would put myself into situations where I was forced to practice the, these, these characteristics that I wanted to be. And that took time. It took years. But after years of doing that, I created the foundation where now when something happens, I, never, I, I really never think retaliation. I think how to turn this 
negative thing into a positive thing for everybody involved. Yeah, and I think that that shows in in everything that you've done and that you continue to do. So as we wrap up, just give me a, a like a, a sneak peek or a preview into the next big experiment that you are embarking on for for this coming year. Sure, this one's a little different because mm. most of my most of my projects are usually a little on the shorter edge and like one month, a couple maybe sometimes it's a week, sometimes it's a month, sometimes it's a couple months. But this is one year of growing or foraging 100% of my food down to the, the even the oil. I have to make my own oil, the spices. I have to go to the ocean and harvest my own salt. Uh, can't go to a party and have a morsel or a snack or anything for an entire year. I have to grow or forage 100%. And, um, you know, I think I can do it, but I personally have never met anyone who has done it. And... When I talk to people who say they did it for just a week or two weeks, they always say that it was a crazy, challenging experience. And so to do this for a year, I'm extremely excited about it. I'm excited to watch it unfold, actually. I can only imagine the impact it would have on your view of how connected we all are, you know, and and how much we rely on each other, which I think then kind of flows really beautifully back into the the humanity aspect of everything that you you do you know as you were talking about compassion and generosity and forgiveness and you know just viewing the people on the other side of every transaction and every equation every interaction and you're just doing it in such a massive and audacious kind of way it's really cool cool yeah i mean you know it's easy to think like this is a very individualistic experience experience like trying to grow or forage 100 percent of my food so you could look at that as like something that's about like self-sustainability and, you know, individualism. But really, the whole purpose of this is it's about community. Mm. You'll see through this project that this isn't about me being able to do it. It's about the only way that I'm able to accomplish this is through creating a community around growing our own food. So what I'm one of the projects that I just started is called Gardens for Single Moms and we're building gardens for single moms in the Orlando area, teaching them how to grow and and cook their own food and feed their families. And so as I'm doing this, the whole purpose of this, the whole you know pro- point of this is to do something that's you know big and and extreme, but really to just inspire people to start growing their own food, whether it's just a windowsill of herbs or growing your greens in your backyard or just one you know, tomato plant to start. That's really what it's about. It's really just about inspiring people to to think about their food and to, you know, start growing a little of their own. It's amazing. And I can't wait to watch it all unfold over the next uh, 12 months. But Rob, I just want to say thank you for your time and for sharing your story. It's been fantastic. It's been really wonderful to, to speak with you. I've enjoyed it a lot. Maybe after the year, we'll do this again. I would love to. I would love to check in and see how it's all gone. Cool. Sounds great. Thanks, Rob. All right. Bye. See ya. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.